to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We're broadcasting from UBC's campus on the unceded, ancestral, and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Saira Unju, and we have a great show for you today. It's very full, packed, even though we only have four things, like four different items, they are very all very interesting two of them are interviews the interviews are going to be in the beginning and the end so you get a little review in the middle super nice okay so we're gonna start off with an interview i did with shelby wiminga and carrie norris who are part of the audio play little women produced by far from the tree productions which is actually the production company of Shelby and her sister Joelle. So that's fun. And then we're gonna do a quick ad of PSA break. Afterwards, we have a review of our new correspondent, Olivia. Woo! We have someone new. Uh, she's gonna do a review of Come to Your Senses. And then afterwards, Eva is back and she's doing a review of D. Daniels at the Shad Bolt. And after a quick ad and PSA break, I will be back with an interview I did with Michael Scholar Jr. for the play Lungs. But for now, enjoy the interview with Shelby Wemenga and Karen Norris. Also, I just want to say I feel like I'm pronouncing Shelby's last name wrong. So Shelby, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry if it's wrong. I definitely should have asked you. I did not. That was stupid. But enjoy the interview. Hello everyone, this is Sarah and I'm here with Shelby and Carrie from Little Women and Audio Play. This is an adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's novel, uh, which is it's being adapted by Joel Wiminga and the dramaturgy by Shelby Wiminga, who is here with us today. And the first episode comes out on November 14th and there will be new episodes every Saturday until December 19th and it will be available on all podcasting platforms. So, hi guys, how are you doing? Good, doing thanks. great. That's great to hear. So, my first question is I guess more directed towards Shelby. How did you come up with the idea of producing an audio play? Hmm. Uh, so my sister and I uh, have our company, Far From The Tree Productions, and um, we, right before the whole world sort of shut down and devolved into chaos, we had been talking uh, between the two of us and with our, our partner, Zach, um, who plays Lori in Little Women, about potential upcoming productions. Um, obviously, all of that got put on hold, and uh, as Joelle and I were brainstorming, um, we still listened to a lot of audio plays and, and audio books and things like that when we were kids. We traveled quite a bit. 
uh, we lived way, way far out in the middle of nowhere. So anywhere was, was a bit of a drive to get to. So that's sort of how we would entertain ourselves. And, um, we had some friends who were doing a really quick little 24 hour audio drama and we were involved in that and we were like, this is really fun. Uh, we have the equipment and like, why not? So we started brainstorming what we could do. And Joelle has been wanting to adapt Little Women for a long time. Uh, she's wanted to adapt it for the stage. And that's been something that's kind of been percolating. Mm-hmm. And we thought that this was a great opportunity uh, since it's a classic. It's something that's in some ways fairly easily accessible, but like it never gets old. And we knew a lot of really awesome people who'd be a really good fit for the project. So we decided to adapt it for uh, this audio format first and then eventually it will become a stage play from here on that's great that's amazing thank you and um carrie how did you become part of this production did you know shelby and joelle beforehand or did you audition for your character marnie like you would in live theater uh no i was lucky to be offered the part uh i've directed shelby and joelle before so i've acted as a director in productions and they've both seen me as a performer as well on stage in various things and uh i don't know they just gave me the awesome opportunity to play marmy and it was great because my daughters got to listen in on some of it and my husband got roped into being <laughs> one of the characters you know it was just a lot of fun and it was something kind of a gift in the midst of all of the stuff that was going on to be able to be creative mm-hmm. yeah definitely and uh, was this a first for you too in terms of being part of an audio play or do you have experience with like voice acting or podcasting or anything similar to this uh for me i've I've done one like really small audio play before and I've, I've appeared on a couple of podcasts, but this is my first time creating one, which mm-hmm. is a very a different process. And especially one of this length, it's, uh, it's quite a beast. So, yeah. How about you? Kate? Yeah, I've, I did, I've done a few little things, uh, mostly a long time ago when we talk about real professional voice over work. Um, uh, so this is the biggest magnitude project that I've, been lucky enough to be part of but I it's all acting to me so I'll do anything mm-hmm. when it comes yeah. to acting that's great yeah and since this is all audio and you know you don't have any costuming or sets and lights with um, normal live theater how do you think the process was compared to the pre- previous productions you've been in it is it has been very very different um, I think probably different even from what like a normal project like this would would appear as um, mm-hmm. in normal times. Uh, we sort of developed a process flying by the seat of our pants and kind of through trial and error, uh, which ended up working really, really well. We were able to figure out what um, wh- how pieces were going to fit. Uh, we did most of our recording over Zoom. So we'd have all of the actors over Zoom together so they could actually be feeding off of each other and playing um, these because some of the scenes are very intimate and very uh, relationship based and it's really important to have that connection with your scene partner but then we had people like all over the place we had several of us in the Vancouver area we had Zach recording from Calgary we had Charlotte who plays Beth recording from Sydney Australia so just the the sort of scope and distance that we were able to cover is very unique Mm -hmm. Um, so we would we'd get on zoom we'd each have our own mic set up we would run through the scene a couple of times. We work it. It was a little bit more like film in that sense, where instead of having a month of rehearsals and then performing the whole thing, it would be, 
all right, this is the scene we're covering today. Let's work it. Let's figure out all of the bits. Let's do any of the sound effects that we want to do and give any acting notes. And then we would just record right there and people would send their stuff in to my husband who edited the whole thing together. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. And how about you, Carrie? What do you think? Um, I think it takes a different kind of imagination uh, when you're doing voiceover work. Uh, there's something transformative for an actor when you're in the theater, when you do have those technical elements that are added that lets you transform mm -hmm. in a different way into the character. But there's also freedom in just being able to use your voice and that kind of connection. I also think it's interesting because sometimes we, like I wouldn't necessarily have imagined myself as typically being cast as Marmy. And mm -hmm. I don't know why that is, but it's because there's a certain image of who she is that has been projected over time and all of the versions and things like that. And while I think I have the qualities, I like, I don't visually think of myself that way. And then all of a sudden, all that mattered was my expression and voice and actions and emotions that I could just project over sound. There's something amazing about being able to explore in that different medium mm -hmm. that was one of my favorite things about this is as we were casting it we didn't have to care at all about what people looked like and normally like i don't think that we should care too much about what people look like when we're yeah. casting them in roles but it's like it gives you an excuse to only pay attention to a person's vocal quality and their acting ability and what they're bringing and joelle and i keep joking around about like charlotte who plays beth how she is phenomenal as Beth, but she would never be cast as Beth in real life. <laughs> I mean, maybe she would, but like, she's a six foot tall, gorgeous, blonde, tanned model. And Beth is usually cast as like being quite a bit smaller and she's sickly and frail. And so we miss out on the opportunity to hear Charlotte Elgersma voicing Beth if, we don't, if, we, if we're only f focusing on the physical elements of it. And like, what a loss, because she's so good. She's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so how did you do the casting? Did you just do a like a phone call or was it over Zoom? Because you said you were focusing more on the vocal qualities, right? Normally, we would uh, hold auditions for any roles that we're casting. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it started off as actually just like, this is something we're going to do to pass time. We just want to have some fun. <laughs> um, and we have a lot of friends who are actors who are out of work and who are just sitting around at home who needed something to do. So we actually just like thought of the people that we knew who, A, had voices that were very pleasant to listen to and mm -hmm. were very expressive. Because uh, there are a lot of really good actors out there who are really good in the physical, who struggle vocally or vice versa. And um, we just, we knew specific people who were like, oh, that, that voice says mm -hmm. this character to me. That, um, that person has like such expressive ways of speaking. They'd be really good. So we uh, asked people that we knew. And we also specifically needed to ask people who we knew had the equipment to be able to record. So there are only so many microphones that I have at home yeah. that I can pass out to people. <laughs> Yeah. And um, how long has this been in the making? So I guess, Shelby, that would be for you from like start with the idea and then to the production and carry it for you. Um, I'm guessing more the recording process of it all. Um, I'm not sure if you had a long period of rehearsals, but yeah, just like I'm just curious about how long it's been in the making for. Uh, Joelle and I, I think, started talking about it back in I think at the end of March, maybe early April. Mm -hmm. And then, Carrie, we started, I think we started recording in like May, June. Yeah, it was May, June. Yeah. Okay. 
So yeah, it and wasn't I think we're that long. Mm -mm. It was an intense period of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely is shorter than I thought it would be. But that's really cool, though, that you got to create um, this like audio play in such a short amount of time. It's the editing that takes time. That's poor Tyler's oh, job, yes. putting it all together and yeah. adding Foley and music and all that kind of stuff is where it's the back end that takes longer, I think, than the recording. Yeah, my my husband, Tyler Dumoulin, is our uh, brilliant sound designer slash composer slash just like lifesaver. We would not be able to do this project if we didn't have somebody with his skill set. Um, and he's been in the studio for like 12 hours a day for the last three weeks, just oh, wow. putting everything together. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, what do you think the most difficult part of this production was? But I'm guessing uh, it might be the the post-production. Definitely, yep. <laughs> yeah, I still want to know as actresses, what do you think the most challenging part was? Finding a quiet place to record. <laughs> <laughs> I have two kids, a husband who's working the night shift right now, uh, a cat who is very annoying. So, like, I'm sitting in a child's bedroom with all her BTS pop figures behind me, you know, trying to muffle the window with the giant trucks that drive past and telling the kids, you can watch Netflix, but it has to be super quiet because I can hear you. <laughs> We're recording. Shelby, we have two takes. We need to get it done because they're not going to be quiet for long. And I mean, they're like a tween and a teenager and they still make so much noise. So... <laughs> Which came in handy. We ended up using them in the show. So, yeah. oh. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think? I think, I think the tricky part for me was I. I was directing the show as well as acting in it and producing it, which was just a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I normally would never do that if I was just doing a show on stage, um, but because. Uh, yeah, it was such a specific weird process. I took on directing as well, <laughs> and I was really grateful because we have two other directors in the cast. We have my sister, Joelle, who mm -hmm. did the adaptation we have Carrie. So it meant that I had people to ask um, for feedback on my own stuff, but it meant that I was doing a scene and trying to have like most of my brain in the scene as an actor and then part of my brain listening to what other people were doing. So then at the end I could tell them what things I wanted adjusted mm -hmm. and trying to keep all of that straight was, it was, it was a lot. It's uh, not ideal. But it, it works. It yeah. works. <laughs> I'm guessing that it was then definitely a, an important experience for you, I guess, to be able to do both of them. <laughs> and OK, so I'm curious, as actors or as directors, basically, would you want to be part of something similar like this as an audio play outside of COVID? You know, when you still have the chance to do live theater, would you still like to be part of something similar to this? Oh, I'm shameless. There. I'll take whatever job comes my way <laughs> if I like the project. Like, uh, it can be voice acting, it can be film, it can be theater, it can be combinations of things. Like, there's something just about the creative process that... You know, th this is my passion mm -hmm. and I find anything that I say yes to, I think has come along for a reason mm -hmm. uh, and provides me value in a new experience. So sure. That's really <laughs> Do good. another one, Shelby. Let's go. <laughs> Just need to find the right idea. Um, 
And Tyler's going to need some recovery time after all yeah, the other. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I would love to do something like this again. I discovered, I've always known that I like voice acting. I discovered once again, how much I love voice acting doing mm-hmm. this show. Um, first of all, you can do it from home in your pajamas. And that is awesome. Very important. We love that. <laughs> but yeah, it just means that it feels like there's a lot of freedom when you're doing something like this because you're working on one element mm-hmm. instead of what's my voice body doing and also what's my face doing and what about the costumes and am I like navigating fight choreography with a weird costume with like makeup or whatever all of that stuff is really fun normally but in this case it was literally just figuring out how to communicate mm-hmm. and that's my favorite part of any acting project um and yeah I I loved it. I'd love to do something else like this. So cool to hear. I I hope you guys get to work on another audio play together and that I get to talk to you again because (laughs) this was amazing. Thank you so much. Where can our audience find you and your audio play? Mm. Uh, So like you mentioned at the beginning, it's basically going to be on all podcasting platforms. So like Spotify, I think there's going to be a version of YouTube as well. Um, Apple Podcasts. You can find stuff about our company. Uh, at www.farfromthetreeproductions.com. That's our website. You can also find us on Facebook under Far From The Tree Productions and Instagram at at Far From The Tree Productions. Mm-hmm. That's great to hear. And any last thing that either of you want to mention before we go? Ah, wear masks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do it. It's important. Exactly. Uh, and I think it's important for all of us to support the art that is being created in this difficult mm-hmm. time out in yeah. the world. People are coming up with very creative things under very difficult conditions to try to keep things alive. And we don't want to lose those spaces in Vancouver that are are the, the homes to all the arts that are out there. So pay for tickets online, see the things that people are doing and and help keep it alive because we're going to need it more than ever as we continue to go through all of this. Exactly. And if you have artists in your life, just be real nice to them right now cuz guys, they're they're having a rough year and we're all surviving because of the arts. Like how many of us are just sitting at home watching Netflix and listening to podcasts and reading books because we've got nothing else to do? That's all art. Exactly. That's all art. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was very well put. And my thoughts exactly. Thank you both of you for joining. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to listen to the audio play. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. The world is a better place because of Kim Kardashian's empire. Cheetos. Fleece material. And discorder. It's a local, independent music magazine from CITR. Which means that we can print whatever we heckin' want. Album and live show reviews, interviews with artists, and sweet illustrations grace our pages. And even you, listener, can contribute. Just visit citr.ca backslash discorder backslash contribute. You can grab it around town or read it at discorder.ca. Forever local and forever free. Now the patriarchy is dead. 
and we killed it. If you identify as a woman, femme, trans, or non-binary, CITR wants you on the air. You can talk about literally whatever you want as long as you care about it. No worries if you have no experience. We'll train you in everything you need to know. Come by CITR and say hi. Hey, hi, hello. From 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday to Friday to help us never play Led Zeppelin on CITR 101.9 FM ever again. Hello, hello, hello. I am back. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I really did myself. Not the interview itself, just like conducting. Not conducting is a weird word. Having the interview with Shelby and Carrie was just really nice and talking to them was amazing. That's what I was trying to say. But for now, I shall leave you again and we're gonna listen to Olivia's review and then Eva's review, not interview, review. Words are difficult. Okay, enjoy! Hi everyone, I hope that you've been having a good week so far. My name is Olivia Cox and I'm excited that you can tune in. Today, I am hopping on air to review the short film Come to Your Senses, co-created by animator Alicia Eisen and her co-director Sophie Jarvis. A quick note on these two talented women before we hop in. Alicia Eisen is a visual artist and award-winning animation filmmaker based right here in beautiful Vancouver. Sophie Jarvis is also Vancouver-based and is currently working as a writer and as a director. Come to Your Senses features nine artists documenting the experiences of lockdown throughout the continent from a mainly sensory viewpoint. The results emulate a group call overwhelmed with chaos and with color. It's clear, bright, absurd, and eye-catching, and it is meant to pose the question, is the human need to make sense of chaos an inherently chaotic pursuit? This National Film Board of Canada film clocks in at less than five minutes, making it worth the watch to experience all the craziness for yourself. As the film opens, we're met with nine different artists as they occupy what we can only assume to be their personal workspace since this pandemic began. The collage of video and images changes quite rapidly and is backed by upbeat music and sound, while a Siri-like voice asks various questions surrounding sensory experience. It's enthralling and it's fun as you immediately become drawn into the visuals. For a non-linear four minutes of chaos, it's just as good on the second or third watch because you can always connect new sources of audio to their respective video each time. I found myself smiling and laughing at the joy brought on by all these crazy visuals. For me personally, As a full-time student, I sometimes feel myself going a little stir-crazy after being at home pretty much 24-7 since March. Come to Your Senses allows you to take a nice exhale and enjoy the chaos, all the while allowing you to feel a little less alone in the COVID-19 reality that we are all currently facing. At certain points throughout the film, the artists arrange themselves and the layout in such a way that they unify to create a figure or a face with their bodies. And I thought this was a really interesting and cool way for them to collaborate from afar. 
again, this film is definitely worth a watch, and I really enjoyed the handful of views that I had while writing this review. The featured artists that participated in this project are Meredith Hama Brown, Alicia Eisen, Mona Fani, Kara Hornland, Sophie Jarvis, Charlie Hanna, Janessa St. Pierre, Suzanne Friesen, and R.G. Gennati. They're all introduced by name during the credits, and so it's really interesting to look back and see their individual contributions throughout the various sequences on the second watch. The chaos of all the different actions and scenarios taking place can be hard to bring in from an initial watch, but I particularly enjoyed how unique they all were, as well as the sensory experiences that they all produced. At one point, you can see Janessa St. Pierre spraying what appears to be a large bottle of perfume onto a small disco ball held in her other hand. It seems silly enough, but this absurd clip in the bottom middle contributes to the majority of the sound in this section. The spraying noise dominates above all other noise, and although this lasts only briefly, I found it to be particularly memorable for me personally. The unique auditory and visual preferences of each person who views come to your senses means that what you enjoy is something that someone else might not have even noticed. The second time around, I noticed that while this clip was being presented, the clip directly to its left was somebody zesting a lemon in their kitchen, and during that second viewing, my brain seemed to focus on that video instead. I think the rewatch value of something like a short film is so important because it proves what value comes out of Come to Your Senses. Right at about the middle mark of the film is a moment of silence, followed by the screen and the audio being dominated by a clip of dried orange being rubbed against another piece of dried orange. Again, this might sound a little silly. But personally, I felt like that clip alone was worth the watch. The audio was incredibly strange, but really relaxing. Come to Your Senses quite honestly reminded me a little bit of an ASMR video, except in this case, it's meant to keep you bright and awake and not help lull you to sleep. We are all connected. We are all connected. We are all connected. Conjure a safe place in your mind. Perhaps your childhood. What do you see with your hands? These are just a few of the almost robotic-like audio clips entangled throughout the rest of the video's sound design. The script alone feels like a poem, an individual work of art that has been overlapped with the rest of the piece. It matches what's going on throughout the video as well, and helps create a sort of non-linear narrative for the film. The vocal element of the piece is subtle and at times overruled by the sights and sounds that dominate the film. However, that isn't really a bad thing, because it perfectly emulates the chaotic design that the creators had in mind when making Come to Your Senses. It reminds me of the colorful animation that pops up here and there in the film as well, typically creating line work in different hues around people and items that are on the screen. Yet another subtle piece that adds to the vast amount of material the viewer has to absorb, as well as a subtle way in which the clips can be meshed together, although they were all taken from completely different places in the world. So, is the human need to make sense of chaos an inherently chaotic pursuit? 
after watching this short film, I would have to agree. However, Alicia Eisen and Sophie Jarvis's work emulates the idea that chaos isn't an inherently negative quality. It simply just is. I know this sounds a little vague, which is why I would really suggest that you give the short film a view for yourself if you have the chance. It is free to view on the National Film Board of Canada website at nfb.ca. All you have to do is search the title, Come to Your Senses. I hope you enjoyed this quick review and that the rest of your week is filled to the brim with positivity. If not, just breathe in and remember to come to your senses. Hey everybody, this is Eva, and I am back with some music stuff that's happening in Vancouver and Greater Vancouver. So I was meant to go see an in-person show on Sunday at the Shadbolt, which is a performing arts center in Burnaby. Unfortunately, as you can guess, um, there was a provincial health order that came out, I think it was Saturday, um, telling us, please do not go outside, do not socialize, no outdoor gatherings, all of that, shut it down. Um, so unfortunately, my show was cancelled, which is understandable and very reasonable, I would say. But that's alright, because it was converted to live stream format, which was great. Uh, we, it wasn't just cancelled. I think everyone's doing a great job of adapting to the current climate, including the Shadbolt. So, and another silver lining is that the November lineup at the Shadbolt had been almost completely sold out. I mean, clearly there's a lot of interest for even if it's limited capacity for um, live events. So that's nice because that means that if you wanted to go see a show that was sold out, well, you can because it's now online. Uh, so let's look at it that way, I would say. I So like I said, I saw an event with Dee Daniels and her band, which consisted of Miles Black on keys, Bill Coon on guitar, and Miles Hill on bass, and Joel Fountain on drums. And Dee herself is this soul, jazz, gospel singer and overall, really liked it. It was nice. Um, it was only about an hour and a half long. I would say that that was probably good um, because I think that your attention, like you lose a little bit of focus when it's on a live stream format, at least I do. So she sang uh, about 10 songs off of her album, The Promise. It was interesting. I liked that she got into kind of her story and she introduced herself to us a little bit before because I didn't know this woman before going into the show. I'd listened to a couple songs knowing that I was going to go going to see her, so I, I'd kind of become familiar with her. But she introduced herself and she talked about where this album came from, what kind of time in her life she was going through that gave rise to this album. And actually, interesting, she went through breast cancer treatment and in kind of attempt to deal with a very traumatic experience, uh, very trying of one's will and so she began meditating and a lot of these songs she said came to her through meditation and she would have her voice memos on while she was meditating because she knew that songs were going to just kind of pour out of her which is really interesting and I think that it shows that that's a natural songwriter because for me and if I ever want to write poetry or something I sit down and I just start doing it and I know that's not really how that works <laughs> if you have the natural artistic kind of like writer thing in you it just comes out and so that was quite interesting she starts off really strong with one of probably one of my favorite songs of the whole set list which is choose me i like immediately got chills at some of her belts she's a fantastic control of volume and she still has a lot of power it just seems effortless effortless power you can tell she's been kind of surrounded with that gospel style of music i actually read somewhere that she had a four plus octave range which, woo, makes sense because some of those high notes, like prolonged high notes, 
were oh fantastic. Uh, and she does have quite a variety of those kind of blues, riffy, improv embell- embellishments, if you know what I'm talking about, which I really enjoyed. It just makes it so much more fun and adds like life to the performance. It made me sad because uh, she was saying too, oh, she misses having the audience out here. And I was thinking, man, this woman would be really cool to see live because something with that gospel sound gets you so excited when you get to see it live. You kind of just want to dance. There's so much movement in the genre and life. And I could tell that she would be the kind of person to just feed off of an audience and vice versa. So very excited to hopefully see her live one day too. And then the second song, uh, I also really liked One Moment in Time. It was a really strong start, this set list. Uh, One Moment in Time. And she's talking about how when she was going through her treatment, she still felt, you know, there there were times where it's really difficult. You keep getting told really awful news. and, And all of these moments in time, you're just sitting there like, oh my god, what is going on? Like, this is not my life anymore. And she said that throughout all of that, she still maintained this kind of idea that there was a purpose for this suffering, something good was coming. And I found that so admirable and really just spoke to the strength of human spirit. And I I was really kind of empowered by that. Like I said, she's um, a gospel singer. um, And so I'm not religious, but I did feel just very empowered by the kind of idea of the human spirit and how this will to survive and the will to be positive it comes internally or it comes from god or whatever you believe and subscribe to but it's still human spirit and human will and i found her strength to be just so empowering and i liked that she had these breaks between songs to kind of give a bit of a narrative too because like i said i didn't know this woman and i didn't know her story and i think that added so much power to these songs And I love when an artist in their set will stop and talk to you, if it permits. I know there's some genres that that just isn't the case. But if it permits, I like crowd interaction. And she did a great job, even though she didn't necessarily have a literal crowd right in front of her. And I really also loved her mannerisms. This is where I started to notice that she just had, you could tell she had a great sense of humor through her movement. Is very light and youthful and humorous. So you could tell that she really took everything in stride. and, And you were able to see that through her body language. She had a great good humor about things and suffering. And you have to when you go through something like that. This is a long battle for most people. And it's something that affects every part of your life. And to still have this kind of light about her. Oh, I just, I just, I just could tell that I would really like this person if I got to know her. So the song The Promise, which is the title track for the CD, I think really encapsulates the general theme that she's trying to convey with this with this collection of songs. So the kind of preamble to the song was she was grateful for her framework that helps her come to term with with and understand her fate or her hardship. And for her, this is her faith. And even though I'm not a person who has religion in their lives uh, or finds strength through faith, I was really grateful that she had that. And she described it as um, a head start. She said it felt like a head start her faith in dealing with all of this because for some people they might go into a a difficult traumatic experience and have no basis with which to draw strength from and if you listen to my last segment we were talking about the heart of the city festival and how their theme was this gives us strength and the whole festival was centered around ways in which people in our community are, are finding strength to deal with this pandemic for one and all of the other crazy things that have happened in 2020 and I just liked this a lot it felt very calming and reassuring and it it makes me realize that a lot of people have a lot of different ways to deal with things 
And this has been so prominent in her life and she's able to move forward with through this battle with cancer with a positive outlook, good humor, and gratefulness. And those were kind of that was kind of the energy of the whole performance. It was really just it was really lovely overall. Um and now I want to say kind of on not on a content based note but more of a, a musical note. Oh my god. Okay, so this other song, my last song that I want to kind of cover was called Never Alone. Um ooh, it was my favorite. I'm buzzing even again thinking about it. Um, and this is not so much about like the the commentary that it provided, but the just musicality of her band, who made me so happy. Uh, the bassist. Okay, so let me just refer back to my notes. Uh, the bassist, his name was Miles Hill. Okay, stole the show in this one. Uh, the groove man. I was just jamming along with it. Yeah, musically, this was my favorite so far. I was sitting in bed watching it live, like jamming out. Technically very strong, Miles Miles Hill. Loved the slaps constantly. That's a hard thing to do throughout a piece. Really fun little licks, and I noticed that I'm sure he was doing throughout the rest of the performance, but this was his time to shine, I think. And if I just want to put this out there, if I was here in, in person, I would have screamed out loud after this one. You would have heard a lot of, a lot of volume from me. And here's where I think that it would be really interesting if we could hear this song again live get some backup singers gospel style like have a little bit of supremes doing some like three women in the background dancing along and providing background vocals would be really strong i'm gonna add this one on apple music this was one that i like i I circled when i was taking my notes i was like oh god you need this and she had her fun little embellishments like ows and i just felt like she was vibing along with it and yeah, I don't know. I feel like everyone just came together for this one song and did a really good job musically. She was saying at the end that she, uh, this was kind of her unplugged version of the CD and in the CD itself, there's lots more backing vocals, there's horns, percussion, etc. So um, I think I'm going to want to take a look at that song in the uh, recorded version too. Cool. So that's pretty much it, my review of D. Daniels. Overall, I really like the message. I thought there's some great musical elements in there. She's clearly a very talented singer. And I really liked the the context behind, you know, where the CD came from and, and the kind of discussions that she had around faith and family and strength and the narrative that she placed in between the songs. Overall, thoroughly enjoyed it. And hopefully I can see her live someday because I think she would be a really entertaining live artist as well. But that being said... Clearly, because of our public health order, again, everything is going to be online uh, this season at the Shadbolt. And so they've got performances every Sunday and Thursday in November featuring other BC jazz and soul artists. So a lot similar to DE. And if you sound if this sounds like something you'd want to listen to, then check out the lineup for at the Shadbolt because a lot of similar artists are following. They have seven more performances left and the next season is going to be in February. So get some tickets. They're $10 for live stream admissions. And what's great about that is these were all sold out shows and now they're not. So get on in there. And if you're not super into sitting down and listening and watching a show, but you want to have something on during cooking dinner or something, that would be really great too, because, you know, you can support your live music, your your local art scene and discovering new music. And also the Shadbolt had been incorporating live stream performances along this in, in this roster. They had some in person and some live streams. So they are super competent with the live stream. The audio was really great. The visual the visual was really good. 
lighting was great because this is something they've been doing already. It's not like they kind of struggled to get this all put together after the public health order. This is something they've been doing for quite some time. So it's very refined and it's a really good uh, listening experience. So that's me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my little review and definitely check out the Shadbolt in Burnaby for more similar events happening this, this month. I know we all really want to get back to live music, but this is the next best thing and it really is a great watching, listening experience with the Shadbolt. Okay, cheers. I'll see you next time. Feeling lost in the lonely, meaningless cyberweb? Looking to connect with other users? Then plug in to a CITR collective. Meet users who are compatible with your interests and passions. CITR's mainframe offers nine unique collectives. News, arts, accessibility, sports, persons of color, indigenous, gender empowerment, LGBTQ2SIA+, and music affairs. CITR collectives are where you can make great radio, great friends, and avoid the abject loneliness of life in the cyber void. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. Today I'm talking to Michael Scholar, who is the director of Lungs. Hi, Michael. How are you? Uh, hi, Sarah. I'm actually Michael Scholar Jr. because my dad is Michael Scholar, and uh, we both are in theater. And I, I, I don't want to be confused with him. He's not directing this production. Okay. Okay. Good to know. I'm sorry about that. No, no, it's totally fine. Totally fine. Okay. Um. So. To start off, could you tell us a little about Lungs so the audience has an idea of what it is and what it's about? Yeah, for sure. So Lungs is a play written by British playwright Duncan McMillan, who um, uh, made quite a splash with this production and has written other shows. Uh, folks may know he did the recent adaptation of George Orwell's 1984 that uh, did well in the West End and I believe Broadway as well. But anyway, uh, Lungs was written almost 15 years ago, uh, and was uh, originally produced in the States, despite uh, Duncan being a British playwright. He was collaborating with uh, some American artists as uh, part of the Bridge Project that the old Vic did with you know, British uh, artists and American artists kind of bridging the gap uh, over the, the ocean, as it were. Mm-hmm. And one of the actresses in the company read the script that he'd written and loved it. And she brought it to a, a company in Washington and they did the, the world premiere in 2011. And the piece is about uh, a couple, a, a heterosexual couple, um, uh, having uh, going through the, the, the process of trying to decide whether they should have a child or not. Mm-hmm. And, and the play takes place over many years and over many locations. There's about 60 different scenes in, in the piece, and, and it follows 
the journey and the the lifespan of this ongoing conversation about whether we should have a child or not and whether we should bring life into this broken world that's full of environmental trauma and uh, moral divides and political divides. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a really uh, timely piece, uh, even though it was written over 15 years ago. It's one of the most produced pieces in the pandemic right now because oh. it's a rather simple piece to do. It's a two-actor piece, and there's no required uh, design elements to it. So it's, it's rather easy to do, small and lo-fi and flexible in how you stage it and where you stage it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in our instance, uh, Mitch and Murray Productions, who hired me to direct this show, who I, I worked with oh, over a decade ago, mm-hmm. uh, on their first production, I directed uh, a Fat Pig, mm-hmm. uh, Neil Butte's Fat Pig at Performance Works. And so this is my return to working with Mitch and Murray. But the, the producers of the show uh, are the artistic director, Aaron Craven, and his wife, Kate Craven, is a very talented actress who's also uh, been helping to produce uh, with Mitch and Murray. So they decided in the pandemic that since getting actors to rehearse together is a risk, is a health risk, mm-hmm. you know, actors have to get close to each other, they have to touch each other or potentially kiss in this script. So they decided since they're bubbling together, they could play these roles without any... Uh, uh, risk factor at least to each other yeah and 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 so it becomes an easy piece or an easier piece to do in the pandemic uh for the kind of structural reasons uh around the 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 piece but it's also really relevant and timely because it's 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 the characters in the play are asking really difficult questions of themselves about how do we move forward how do how do we justify, how can we possibly bring life into this very broken and sometimes hateful, sad world? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so this is something that I, I think is really resonating with people right now. The, the title of the piece is Lungs, and of course, COVID, as, as we all know, is a, is a, uh, a breath-centered uh, yeah. disease. And so there's a lot of points of resonance around this while there's many moments in the piece uh, in which the characters need to breathe and they need to to take in each other and listen to each other which is not something we do all the time we don't take in the other opinion the person across the divide and if we can't do that in our own romantic relationships how can we expect that of our political leaders or of our 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 communities right yes so anyway what is lungs about i mean that's a, a big long rambling answer but it's about a lot of different things for us right now it's about Doing theater in the pandemic, it, it, it's about asking these these tough questions about how do we move forward as as a species as humans, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and it's and it's about trying to stay creative in this time where our theater world has been decimated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, thank you. That was really um, beautiful. <laughs> and <laughs> so talking about creating theater during the pandemic. So I've read that you've directed many plays pre-COVID. And so you definitely know how the rehearsal process goes back then or like went back then. So what I'm wondering is how it was different comparing rehearsals pre-COVID and currently during the pandemic. It's completely different. 
This is, of course, my first experience working uh, in, in theater since the pandemic has started. We've been in it seven months now, and I have, you know, I've done a reading online over Zoom with uh, some friends in New York, which was something that wouldn't have happened pre-pandemic, and that's exciting to be able to work internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but this is my first time being back in a rehearsal room in any capacity, and we have uh, built a lot of phone calls in place to take care of everyone, to take care of the actors, the, the, the designers, the, and of course we're, we're thinking ahead to the, to the audience as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rehearsal process has been, it's been different, but it also has fueled the piece. We, we of course rehearse with masks uh, in, in the rehearsal space mm-hmm. uh, for, the, for the first couple of days when we were working around the table. We were all wearing masks on opposite sides of the, uh, of the table, you know, six feet apart. But, uh, but the actors in the production, uh, when they perform, they take their masks off. So we, we've had to set up the space so that um, the stage manager and I are 10 feet away from the furthest downstage position where the actors might be speaking with their masks off. Mm-hmm. And we even have a sound designer, uh, a great sound designer, Rick Colquhoun, who uh, has come into rehearsals on, on a few occasions. And we, we sit him in this balcony area that's like this glass greenhouse uh, that's furthest upstage back wall and we call it the penalty box we're like you go into the penalty box there's no space down here south of the of the stage on the downstage side and so we're all very far apart all wearing masks which has become you know part of our our norm these days and, yeah. you know, of course we're always you know, washing our hands and, and using the head sanitizer when we come into the room but you wouldn't think that would really affect things greatly but it, but it, it does. I am a director who likes to get up on his feet and come mm-hmm. out onto the stage and engage with the actors and talk about a moment or even uh, physically uh, show them something that might help the moment work. And, mm-hmm. and I've had to really resist that temptation and stay <laughs> stay off the stage and use my words. Yeah. And, and, and not get so physically engaged, which isn't... A bad thing anyway. Directors shouldn't really be acting or showing actors how to act. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it just forced me to, to sit in the chair or, or, or try to communicate clearer from afar. Uh, but it also means that uh, I can't get different perspectives on the sight lines, on what looks good from the side of the stage or the mm-hmm. other the stage right side or the stage left side, because it's just not safe for me to go there. Uh, we'll get to do that when we move into the theater, but we're in a smaller rehearsal hall where the footprint of our space is big enough for the stage, but it doesn't make space for uh, uh, the audience seats off the stage left and stage right side. So anyway, I'm very much viewing the show from up front and and, and, and dealing with that and and also embracing the reality that we have into the prologue. How do we get the actors onto the stage safely yeah. without getting too close to audience members and and so what does that look like when they come on with masks and we have to incorporate that into you know, the artistic gesture of the show we don't have say, a backstage area like the arts club who are also doing show in covid right now but they mm-hmm. have a backstage and the actor comes out from backstage and perhaps they don't have to think about this stuff where we're having to walk through the audience mm. so, so there's a lot of stuff like that that's changed the art itself 
um, and, and this is a play, as I said, it's, it's about breathing, uh, like the, the, the title being lungs. And so breathing in the space and having an actor with their mask off in the space, uh, it becomes this momentous gesture. It's, it, 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 it has weight now where I, I haven't seen so many of my friends with their masks off for, for months. I haven't yeah. seen a lot of people without masks off. And to, to see someone or take their mask off, it's almost like a dirty uh, undressing, right? Yeah. Like someone, someone's showing you their private parts when they take the mask off. So there's uh, these, these are things that are affecting the art and affecting the prologue and affecting the, the staging and, and uh, it, it's, it's very interesting because I think necessity becomes the mother of invention and then it also ends up speaking to our times. Mm-hmm. The choices we're making for safety's sake and acknowledging the situation we're in resonate with this moment and, and allow the piece to be more relevant and to anchor it very much in the here and the now, right here in Vancouver in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and talking more about your process as a director, did you have a clear-cut vision going into this play? Or if not, how did you end up um, figuring out what you wanted, how you wanted it to be? Uh, Could you tell us a little about what your preparation process was like for this? Yeah, for sure. And so the best departure point for any director... And including myself, I believe, is to read the play, right? So, yeah. Um, and just read it and read it and read it. And uh, the more you read it, different things pop out at you. And, uh, and, and I, was, I was actually hired quite late in the game. I think uh, originally there was uh, another director slotted to do this. And it was only about a month or so ago that, uh, uh, that Aaron and Kate uh, said, Are you available? I'm like, Yes, I am. I'm just- oh sitting here in Toronto uh, collecting my Serb and uh, I would love to get creative. I, I was supposed to be directing a production with Missionary Productions earlier this summer in June. We mm-hmm. were going to do a production of Anna Ziegler's Actually at the Fire Hall. But then, of course, all theater got cancelled yeah. uh, during that time. And so uh, when, when the director who was slotted to do this show wasn't available... Aaron and uh, Aaron reached out to me and said, "Hey, well, it doesn't look like we can do actually right away. Mm-hmm. Do you want to come out and and do this piece?" And I just said, "Well, just let me read the script first, and I'll let you know. I mean, I am available, and I would love to work with you, but I got to see if it's something that resonates with me first. Yeah. And on on my first reading, I so related to these two characters, these these uh, this couple who are in this tunnel war, this moral and intellectual and emotional debate about what's the right thing to do. I went through this all with my wife. Mm-hmm. Like I saw myself in these characters, both characters, trying to decide, should we have one kid? Should we have two kids? Should we adopt uh, the environmental impact? Should we live off the grid? Should we uh, stay in the city? How, how can we do this responsibly? Are we moral people? Are we good people? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we be good parents? So, so I was, my process was, you know, reading the script and, and, and the piece spoke to me. And, and, and so, of course, I called Aaron up and said, yes, I'd, lo- I'd love to do this play. And, and, and so when, you, when, I, when I read the play, uh, I just first read it a few times trying to see what sticks with me. What are, what are the themes that are coming out for me? What are the ideas or even the images? Mm-hmm. What are some of the, the words or the lines that are kind of haunting me in my dreams? 
um, and, and and use those as a leaping point. And there there was a really striking line in there uh, as they're uh, they're arguing, and 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 the the, the man said, uh, "It's it's like I'm seeing you." through a, a pane of glass i can hear you but it, my words aren't quite getting through you know and there's this barrier between us there's this glass between us and, and to me that was very much uh resonance of all these barriers we mm-hmm. we interact with and uh, or, or we see in, in shops and businesses nowadays i'm like oh my god this is so true we can see each other but we're not quite connecting we're not as intimate we're not as physically engaged as we once were and so that that became a a, a leaping point for me uh, in in the initial design phase we kind of moved we moved away from uh, doing actual physical barriers in the space but that was one of my first impulses when i thought hey well maybe we could have actual physical barriers that promote safety and uh, are thematically resonant but yeah. that it's, it's that kind of thing that twigs with you or twigs with me and, and i i I expand off of that and then start getting into a collaboration with the designers about what, what is resonating for them. And, and the, the larger gesture now that, that we're exploring is, is uh, well, we're, we're kind of being a little naughty, I think. The, 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 uh, the playwright has these uh, really strict instructions about not having any light or sound effects to tell you where and when you are in oh. time and space. They, they want all of that to be created by the language and the actors in the space. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're following the letter of the law, but not necessarily the intent of the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as it were, we're, we're creating um, an envelope for the piece where the transitions in time are supported and they're marked with uh, sound and light but they're not descriptive or prescriptive we're not saying we're not mm-hmm. indicating where we are but we are using uh those elements as a way of shifting and transitioning from 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 uh one time and place to another and 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 so those are the things we're we're exploring and and very much using the idea of breath as, as a way to transition from mm-hmm. one time to another Rather than saying, "Hey, we're we're at a nightclub, and can't you hear the loud music?" Yeah. Or, "Yeah, ten years has passed. Click, 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 click." Instead, we're just using these gestures of, of breath, and mm-hmm. I'm lo- I'm looking forward to seeing how that comes together in the next week as we move into the technical phase of uh, uh, of our rehearsal process. Yeah, I mean, it sounds really amazing and interesting. I can't wait to see it for myself. It's I because in my reviews, I always talk about lighting because it can really make or break the play. If it's done good, it really transforms the whole thing. And if it's done badly, you're just, you know, it's done for you. So to hear that you're not using, you know, light or state, um, not stage sound, you know, as much. It sounds really interesting. And I I'm really excited to to see what you've done with it. Yeah, and I, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, too, uh, because I, I should clarify that we are using 
light and sound, yes. but not as, and we're using a fair amount of it because there's like 60 scenes, that's mm-hmm. about 60 transitions, so it's a lot of work for our poor stage manager and our designers to like you know, be very precise with these quick, sharp transitions, but we're, we're, we're just not using it didactically, we're not using it within the context of the scenes primarily, it's only existing in the space in between the scenes, and again, we're using it more as a uh, a theatrical gesture uh, rather than uh, a clear narrative linear indicator of where we are and when we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. Yes, <laughs> it does. It makes perfect sense. Well, uh, thank you so much for talking with me about lungs. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see it and talk about it on our upcoming show. Great. Thank you, sir, for taking the time to talk with me. And uh, yeah, for those who feel safe enough to come out, and we understand that not everyone does. Uh, um, um, uh, we hope to, to see you down there. It's limited seating capacity and seating pods. Uh, so you and your pod of up to four can can grab uh, a pod, and they're all 10 feet away from each other, and it's very safe. Masks are required for the mm-hmm. audience members. So we're, we're taking all the necessary precautions but I understand, of course, not everyone's going to feel safe enough to come out, and no one should risk themselves to come and see theater for uh, for any reason. But uh, but but we're 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 taking care of folks, and, and it'll be a wonderful experience for those who are are feeling up for it. Yes, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. And that is us. That's today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed making it for you. I will talk to you next week and hopefully you'll be tuning in again because this is fun. (laughs) Okay, bye!